Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We just form a fucking wall. O'Neal deep on the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace! What wow. a jump ball! This team's down four, 12 8, 7 38 to play the first one. First from Rodney, stuck into the rim! Reggie inside for Andre, and a dynamite dunk! Pistons fans, hello and welcome to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Brendan Johnson and Aaron Johnson here with you this week. Unfortunately, Ryan Pay unable to be with us, but your Detroit Pistons still kind of rocking and rolling early in the season. Um, But Aaron, let's just kind of jump right into it. This is a Detroit Pistons team that going into last week, we all kind of laid out the expectation of, I said they needed to go 3-0. and And you and Ryan talked me off the ledge a little bit and you're like, Brendan, relax. They just need to win two out of three. It's a favorable schedule. Uh, they just need to win two out of three last week and they'll be fine. And the week started with a loss to the Washington Wizards. It then was followed up with a win at home against the New York Knicks. And it concluded with a loss for the first time this season to the Indiana Pacers. That pushes the Pistons record to 4-6. and six. And 10 games in, they currently sit on the outside looking in uh, of the NBA playoffs. Last week, we were a playoff team. This week we would be sitting at home. But Aaron, before we dive all into the Pistons, we're doing another Sunday pod just to kind of talk about the full week and preview the week ahead. How are we doing? Doing good, Brendan. Doing good. Um, you know, could have been a better week for the Pistons. There's no question about it. One and two on a lighter load of a schedule certainly is not how you wanted to go through the week. Uh, and specifically the first game against Washington, Washington's just not a good team in any facet of the imagination. They lack a normal amount of NBA-caliber players, to put it lightly. Um, Bradley Beal, obviously a key player for them. Outside of that, it's you know Thomas Bryant, Ish Smith. They started Isaiah Thomas for his first start with them. Um, Mo Wagner played a really good game against Andre Drummond. That was a game where the Pistons had no business losing. Even short, as shorthanded as they were, mm-hmm. no Reggie Jackson, no Tim Frazier, no Derrick Rose, no Blake Griffin, who the Pistons thought they were maybe be getting back at least uh, Rose and Griffin for the week or at some point in the week. They didn't get either or any of them back, and but they still should have beaten that Washington team. And Drummond had his a, a pretty bad game from the field, did not shoot the ball well. Um, Luke had 24. Bruce finished with 14-7-7, and but Bruce... Didn't have a great game. He didn't, you know, he had a couple. He had a better second half, um, but didn't have a great game by any stretch of the imagination. And then you only got four points out of Markeith Morris, um, you know. And, and at the end of the day, you only scored ninety nine points. Yeah, that's not great. But you know, how many points are you going to score with three of your best scores not on the court? The problem for Detroit was they turned the ball over nineteen times. And when you look at the rebounding battle, they didn't win it. I mean, they won it by one. They won the rebounding battle by one rebound. And when you're going up against a team like Washington that doesn't have a bunch of scores, that doesn't have, you know, an abundance of size, 
yes, Thomas Bryan is, you know, a, a good rebounding big. He's a fine big. Mo Wagner played well. But still, there's just not a lot of size on that team. The Pistons should have dominated in that area. And then, you know, you mix that in with the turnovers. And those are two areas that I really look at when I'm looking at what went right, what went wrong. And, you know, for Detroit, those were two things that went wrong for them. And when you factor in that the Pistons, you know, shot the ball pretty well throughout the night, you know, maybe you would have liked to have shot a little bit better than 41.5% from the field, but you shot just just below 80% from the free throw line. You shot 48% from the three-point line. You have to look at that and realize it was your defense. It was, you know, turning the ball over, and it was not rebounding. And you give up second-chance opportunities to the Wizards, and that's what's going to happen. And you got to look at it. I mean, the turnover difference, the Pistons committed 21, whereas the Wizards only committed 12. You know, you out-rebounded them. You shot the three-ball better. Uh, they Washington shot a little bit better from the field. Washington did a real good job of you're really spreading the wealth. They had six guys in double figures, two more that uh, had nine points as well. So you could essentially say they were in double figures. Um, so they really spread the wealth. But tough game for Detroit. You move on. You come home Monday, or excuse me, after Monday's loss, Wednesday, to play against the New York Knicks. And Detroit looks pretty good. They get the job done, and they get you back on track thinking, okay, Monday, it happens. What? It's a case of the Mondays. We got, we're got we back under control on Wednesday. Yeah, you know, Tony Snell had his perfect game where he was 9-9 from the field for 24 points. Markeith Morris and Andre Drummond both bounced back. Morris at 22. Drummond flirted with a triple-double. He finished with 27-12-7. Luke Kennard, who didn't have the most efficient shooting night, Still played pretty well. He also flirted with the triple-double, had 12-9-7. Galloway added 13 off the bench. I mean, you know, the Pistons played a better game. They turned the ball over less, uh, and, and they rebounded better than the, the Knicks did. Those are areas where, you know, the Pistons are going to win. And, they you know, they shot the ball well. When you're able to turn down your turnovers, stop turning the ball over as much as the Pistons do, Things will go better for them, and they did coincidentally against the Knicks. So then you fast forward to Friday where the Pistons travel to Indiana, and you look at some key things. Similar to the Washington game, they got they shot the three ball significantly better, but they turned the ball over more than their opponent. 17 turnovers for Detroit to Indiana only having 13. They won the rebounding battle. The Pistons hung in there, but it was, uh, it was a game where both teams – both teams had double-digit leads. The Pistons had a lead of as many as 15. Indiana had a lead as big as 17, which is quite bizarre. But nonetheless, the Pacers able to hold on, pick up a home win. And uh, if the season ended today for Indiana, despite their injuries, they'd be in the playoffs. Yeah, this was a game where you know Andre Drummond got into some foul trouble, and that's when Indiana was able to go on their first run and take control. And the Pistons were never able to crawl out of that hole. Um, you know, Andre Drummond was playing well, and as soon as he got himself into to the silly foul trouble, the night kind of ended for him. He got into that foul trouble, and he wasn't able to bounce back, and the Pistons as a whole weren't able to bounce back. Yes, Luke Kennard had another phenomenal game for him, and the growth from him is great to see. I mean, he had 29-6-5, but outside of him and Galloway, no one else really stood out. Drummond again flirted with that triple-double, but again, only shot 42.9% from the field, turned the ball over four times, and was in foul trouble. 
So, you know, those those initial stats look good, but once you go deeper into that box score a little bit, it's, oh, well, he wasn't on the floor as much as he could have been. He was turning the ball over. So that those eight assists are nice, but he also turned the ball over four times. So it's really not, not that special. It was Kennard and Galloway mm-hmm. trying to keep the Pistons alive. And Kennard was the bright spot in that game. 29 points, 50% shooting from the field, dished the ball well, grabbed six boards. He he had himself a nice day. Yeah, he did. He's shooting the ball really well, which is you know what you would expect from him. But they're not the same level of shots that he's taken in his first two years in the league. He's taking a lot of more difficult-looking shots, step backs, off the dribble, getting inside. Uh, it's all coming together for him in that regard. And that's that's interesting to see. It's it's good to see that kind of growth from him. And Dwayne Casey's also talked about the growth that Kennard's shown defensively. And while Kennard's certainly not a defensive stopper, I certainly think that's kind of flown under the radar. He's actually been able to hold his own on that end of the floor, which in his first two seasons of the league, you couldn't easily say. You know, he definitely had his struggles from there. So Kennard's really showing an all-around improvement to his game. And, you know, as the Pistons get back to full strength, hopefully that will continue to be able to show. And, you know, the Pistons will just be able to play some better basketball with their better players on the floor. Well, let's be real, though. So last week on the podcast, like I said, I said the Pistons needed to win all three this week. I said I didn't care about your injuries. You have three winnable games. And the game that I'll give you is Friday because you also didn't have Rose. and So you're playing no Rose. You're playing no Reggie. Uh, you're playing no Blake. You get Dre in foul trouble. Like, I can give you Friday. Against but- an Indiana team that... Even without Oladipo and without Miles Turner, and significantly more Edmund talented Sumner, than Washington. Yeah, without they, all those, they guys still there. have a, a decent basketball team. So bonus Brogdon, T.J. Warren, they have guys that can score, can defend, are you know effective with the basketball, and they got good performances from their yeah. bench too. I mean, T.J. McConnell came in and scored 17 points and made Fima Hailuk look like he belonged not even in the G League. You know, he looked like. You know, Mahaluk had no business on the court, and TJ McConnell of all players went off for them. And you know, it, it's it's that's one of those games where it's like, I mean, what can you do? Right. What can you do? It's terrible that they lost, but at the same time, if TJ McConnell's going off and leading a big charge in the third and fourth quarter, what can you do? So you look at this, and you're the Pistons. You're four and six. You know, you you went one and two this past week in a week where you still could have at least went two and one, if not three and zero. Oh. Should you be worried? I'm gonna say no. And I said the Pistons needed to go two and one uh, last week, so I'm gonna say no, largely because I also said that believing that at some point both Blake Griffin and, and Derrick Rose would be returning to the floor, and neither of them did. Now, with Blake Griffin coming back into the fold and the anticipation that Derrick Rose, as Dwayne Casey said, is extremely close to returning, I'm expecting things to pick up for Detroit. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, even though they were playing a lighter portion of the schedule, that because they were playing without so many key players, I'll give them I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So Blake Griffin expected to return at home versus Minnesota. That crowd should erupt when his name is announced and he takes the floor uh, for the first time this season. Hopefully it's just a stabilizing presence uh, to have Blake Griffin back on the floor. And hopefully the growth of Luke Kennard, the growth of Andre Drummond, uh, the implementation of Tony Snell, all those things can 
remain the same and Kennard can still be the go-to scorer that he's been Snell can fit in as well as he had and Drummond can continue to do the things that he's been able to do while maybe Blake alleviates some of the stress that Drummond had of having to handle the basketball having to bring the ball up to court having to initiate the offense having to be the guy uh you know with Griffin and Rose out and with Blake back you know I don't know if there should be an expectation that he's going to play at the same level that he did last year. I don't think he's going to be asked to score as much. I just think with Kennard and Drummond showing the growth scoring-wise that they have, with Derrick Rose coming back, with Tony Snell being a threat, you know, the Pistons didn't really have a three last year that was a threat, unless you're counting Wayne Ellington as a small forward. So the Pistons have some other guys. I mean, Langston Galloway's playing better. They have more players that can put the ball in the hole. You're hoping that Blake Griffin comes back and he's able to stabilize the defense. You know, he's not the best one-on-one defender. He's not the best team defender, but he communicates and he's a veteran. So he knows how to make those plays. He knows how to help get other guys in the right position. And you're hoping that he comes back and can help the offense in a sense of if they need a bucket, yeah, you can go to Blake. But he's not the guy running the offense, taking the ball to Luke's hands, this and that. It should just be a very calming presence to get your best player back. And that's really good news for the Pistons. Well, that's something that even last year watching this team, I think was apparent needed to change in the long-term plan with Blake. That it was so much. Blake would go, he'd catch the ball at the high post, and it would just turn into iso ball. Him backing down, him in the short corner backing down. And how many times... Did that result into turnovers? How many times did that result in killing the pace, killing the flow? You're exactly right. Luke Kennard has to continue to be a focal point scorer if you get Rose back. I still think those two pacing your second unit and then staggering in with the first unit through the second half, it's really going to culminate things into what we've talked about. So you can't get too worried. But I really hope with Blake coming back, it doesn't come into this overhaul usage, change everything you're doing, and and completely kill some of the the flow and the um, what's the word? Just the um, chemistry that you have on the floor together right now. Yeah, and, and it's not on the way in Casey in that regard. As he has to figure out, does Kennard belong on the floor with the starting unit right now? Has he earned that? Has he shown that he can play as a starter? And I think he has, but it's been different for him. He's also been getting a lot, a lot of touches. And Blake Griffin will certainly cut into those. But with Griffin back and the anticipation that Rose is near back, you know, he could play on Monday. Um, and Dwayne Casey said at the Indiana game that both Griffin and Rose were very close to returning. Then we got the report that Griffin was returning on Monday, so Rose could be in the same boat. We don't necessarily know. They both practiced uh, on Sunday morning, so where does Kennard fit? That's a big question, mm-hmm. right? And you have to determine if he stays in the first unit, is that going to take away from what the second unit needs to be? Because once you get Rose back in the second unit and then you slide Marquise Morris back into the second unit, if you put Kennard in there, then – Maybe your second unit is going to actually be extremely good. And your first unit might have their struggles, but Blake coming but back should alleviate I'll tell you what, the loss of Kennard and guy, the loss of Morris. A guy, it's it's funny, I'm going to say this based off of what the reaction has been regarding this player going into the year, but Langston Galloway's been nice. You guys even said it That's last true. week. That's true, I didn't even mention Galloway. So, 
a second unit with Rose, Galloway, Sfimahai, Luke, Markeev, Morris, and then Thon before Christian Wood finally takes over that spot. I think I think Christian Wood's already taken that. That's another that's another thing that even though Thon's had a few decent games, which is kind of like hard to say because a decent game from Thon is always like still You're not so not biased. That you just don't want to see a decent game from Thon. No, the, the, look, stop I'm it. Not even gonna, I'm not going to say that Christian Christian Wood had a good week. He played well against Indiana, but he did not. Do much against either New York, neither New York how about, or how about or Dwayne Indiana. Casey not playing Christian Wood much in the second half based off of the matchups as he referred to. Well, that's where Christian Wood has shown you know he's still lacking defensively. He's getting lost. You know he's not closing out. He's not in the right position. And you know unfortunately, as a young player, you have to earn those minutes. And you know even though I think Christian Wood's better between him and Thon, there's some merit to that. There's some teaching in that there's some growth to be made in that regard and you know hopefully that's something Wood sees and is able to improve upon so that he can cement himself as that backup five and that's something to several Pistons fans who have reached out to me and I've gotten the text what the hell is going on with these rotations why is Christian Wood not playing more he needs to be playing over Thon bench Thon you need more Christian Wood Christian Wood could score the basketball well, yeah, but if Christian Wood's going to come in and score 15 and give up 17, it's not going to help you. If he's going to play against a stretch four that he can't stick with and then he loses midway through a possession, that doesn't help you. I don't care how many points and, he scores. And that, that's absolutely on Christian Wood. That's not a schematic thing in Dwayne Casey's defensive system. Wood is 6'10", is super long, is super athletic, is super fast. He should be able to defend the heck out of the basketball. So that's on him to zone in to make sure that he's paying attention to where the ball is, where his defensive man is, that's all on him. Now, let's remember, Markeith Morris slides back to the second unit. Christian Wood's playing a lot of the five. He'll be playing against more centers, and yes, there are still some stretch fives. There's less of those. That will play into his benefit. That Yeah, that absolutely will. And I think, you know, in a, in a perfect world, your backup unit would be... Derrick Rose, Langston Galloway, Luke Kennard, Markeith Morris, and Christian Wood. But, again, it goes back to right now, without Reggie Jackson, do the, does the starting unit need another offensive threat in Kennard? And I tend to think that they do. They do. And, God dang, that second unit is sexy and, right well, and, But the, also, That's the, the, sexy. the other problem is, if Luke is go, is go goes back to the second unit, then you probably have to start Galloway. Unless you, for well, some reason, would play Svee. Until you're healthy. Or or you go back to Tim Frazier and, and Bruce Brown when Tim Frazier's back. I, I which still, I don't think you can do. I still think the, the, the best short-term approach would be to start Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard, and then keep your Tony Snell, Blake, and uh, Dre. I'm in agreement. Starting I'm in five. agreement. Then I've, when Rose is healthy, you've got Rose, you've yes. got Langston, you've got Svee, you've got Markeith. Probably starts with Thon as that backup five. Maybe it's Christian Wood. Maybe Wood's already gotten himself positioned into that spot. Don't know. Right. But nonetheless, it's going to be one of those two guys. Maybe they even split the minutes still mm-hmm. for the time being. So it's still not a bad look. And, and Casey could also just run with a nine-man rotation. Or he could use Rose as the two if he doesn't trust Fima Hailuk. And he right. could go with Tim Frazier with Tim Frazier. Sound like he's also coming back. So they could go with a backup unit of Frazier, Rose, Galloway, Markeith Morris, and Thon or Christian Wood, you know, whatever they see fit. But 
bottom line is the Pistons are about to get some major reinforcements. Yeah. And that's a huge that's a huge boost to a team that managed and, to stay afloat through the first ten games. And I'm a big believer that early in the year those rotations need to be ten guys. Why? I agree. Because you don't want to overload anybody. You've already had some injuries. Especially with the roster you have. Derrick Rose got overworked pretty You've fast. You've already had some injuries. You don't want to... Load management. Load management. you got to have it. you so, got to have it. Uh, play 10 guys. Hell, play 11 guys. I don't care. Like, spread the wealth a little bit. Even if then it's a guy like Kyrie or if even Sfeeling gets five to seven minutes just to get him on the floor and give somebody else a breather, give somebody else a break, just to spread the minutes out a little bit, that's fine. Yeah, well, I think Sfee needs to continue to be given an opportunity in the rotation. He's shown he can shoot the basketball. He's shown he fits in with the offense. Yes, defensively, you know, that was a big problem against Indiana. That was very apparent, but... He's also a guy that, you know, you traded a, a valuable player for your team last year in Reggie Bullock to get. Right. So, you you know, you're invested in him in that sense. And, you know, if he's part of that potential young core that you you have, you need to let him play. You need to let him, you know, figure some things out. You can't just dole out seven minutes every five games and, you know, expect to see great return. He needs to be given a, a consistent opportunity to solidify and cement himself within the rotation. And then if it doesn't work, then you have to look elsewhere and maybe reevaluate the team in that in that area. But Tfee needs to be given the opportunity because he's shown that there's you know he can play basketball. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I really want to get into, though, kind of the big topic, the topic that everybody wants to hear about. Blake Griffin's coming back. He's going to play against Minnesota per all reports. And I know we've talked a little bit now about the rotations and, and the way it's going to affect the Pistons, but it's just pretty exciting to have Blake back on the floor for the Pistons. This is a guy that last year was, in my opinion, a fringe MVP candidate. 26 points per game, 6 assists, rebounded, shot a career best from the three-point line, and, you know, a career-high volume, was an all-star, all-NBA third team. He did everything for the Pistons and won over every fan that perhaps questioned the Blake Griffin trade with the heart and the hustle and the attitude that he played with throughout the year. Refs, you suck. Refs, you suck. I remember suck. that. Oh that my was, God. That That's... was insane. It was, it was, it was an electrifying feeling in a game where the Pistons were about to, their season was about to be over and Blake rallied the crowd. You know, in in a in a tough position, you know, considering the Pistons were about to get eliminated from the playoffs and their season was about to be done, but Blake was out there injured, playing until the final horn. He gave it his all when Des- he when he probably should not have. Despite a sweep, it was the moment that brought fans all together to rally that behind energy, this organization. That energy in the arena was not something to take lightly. It was unmatched. Blake Griffin reinvigorated the Detroit Pistons franchise. He really did. And his return is you can't you you can't even put into words how important it's going to be. This is a Detroit Pistons team that's been playing without their best player, and then Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose, who are two of the top four or five, probably you know in that mix. However you place Jackson and Rose compared with Drummond, Kennard, and Griffin, I think they're the top five. Yeah. Um, but Griffin is. He's go. He's a do-it-all player. He's a star. Anytime you get a star back, your team should play a lot better. And, and you get to see the big man duo return of Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. There's been a lot of talk about the off season that Blake had once he was able to, you know, start working out again, 
taking a lot of three-pointers, continuing to improve that area of his game. He wants to continue to be a marksman, which I think is really good for Andre Drummond. I'm really excited to see the big man pick and roll return with Griffin and Drummond. I think that's something that they need to rely on more. Uh, I'm excited to see just what the Pistons can do with Blake Griffin back in the fold because he's going to really help the offense and hopefully, hopefully stabilize the defense. It's exciting. It's really exciting stuff. And, of course, you know, you talk about his pairing with Dre. Dre has still been playing really good basketball so far this season. He has. He has, and he needs he needs to be given all the, you know, respect that he's he deserves for the way that he's played. At SB Nation. Yikes. Are we going into that one right now? I, I guess we need to. Yeah, yeah, we probably how much, should. How about you? I'll, I'll throw you a little lamp, okay. there, a little softball. Hit this one. So, there was an Espionation article about Andre Drummond that came out uh, during the week by a very good writer that I very much respect. I've read a lot of his work before, and I, I've certainly agreed with a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that he's written. But I didn't in this case. You know, he wrote an article about Andre Drummond uh, for Espionation, and. The title of the article was Andre Drummond's Hot Start Only Raises More Questions. A lot of the stuff in the article was talking about, well, the player Andre Drummond was four or five seasons ago. Talking about low motor, uh, you know, no progress in his game, things of that nature. Uh, basically asking him to stick to what he's great at, but he, he doesn't. And, and you know, I, I've also said that Drummond needs to stick to what he's great at. And I've said that same thing, but not in the sense of Drummond can't improve. Drummond's showing off a better handle, getting to the rim this year. That's big. Uh, you know, it's not him taking four or five three-pointers a game. Um, but, you know, just the article, again, you can read it on SB Nation. It just talked about Drummond's energy level fluctuating and, you know, foul troubles, uh, you know, bad shots, things of that nature. It talked about the Pistons, you know, Probably, you know, not wanting to trade Drummond with Tom Gores, you know, and his affection for Drummond. But it also talked about the Pistons not being able to win with him and things of that nature. And I just don't think that that's very fair. I don't think it puts uh, in a very fair light the player that Andre Drummond is. Some of the proposed trade ideas, I mean, one of them was San Antonio uh, putting together an offer of Patty Mills, Rudy Gay, Lonnie Walker, and their 2021st for Drummond. Thing, you know, it just did not paint Drummond in a very fair or true light. In reality, it spoke about Drummond as if he was a player that he was four or five years ago when he struggled on the floor as, you know, a guy that could play late in games, didn't make free throws, played with low energy. Quite simply, that's just not the player that Andre Drummond is this year. And he hasn't been that player for a few years now. Dating back to two, three seasons ago, he transformed into a different player and dating back to last season when he returned from a concussion for the last 40 or so games of the season, he's turned into a new, new player where he's been one of the best centers in the NBA, where he's continued to rebound at an insane rate. He's scored effectively and efficiently from inside the post. He's helped the offense move the basketball, and he has become one of the better defensive players in the league at the center position. Andre Drummond is not the same player that he was in 2013. He's not the same player that he was in 2014. Quite simply, he's just very much better than that. 
and this article did not paint Drummond in that light. It did not give him the respect that he has earned for the work that he has put in, and it still held on to false and old narratives that no longer reign true about the 611 big. Well, dang. I mean, I think you kind of just covered the main basis of it there, but I'll, I'll just add this. That article was written by someone that sounds like they have not watched the last second half of last season and Dre so far this season. And they haven't paid attention to the real progression of his game, the night in and night out. That's a very pessimistic, negative look at Andre Drummond. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's 100% unfair. It's not necessarily unfair because guys, especially in a contract year, tend to play up to that level. They do. But for a guy like Dre, who's just night in and night out for, uh, you know, going on a, a full season, if you take the last half of this past season and so far this year going through the, you know, starting the first half of it, he's played real well. He's done a lot of things that in the past people have criticized him for. He's fixed those issues. He's made strides. He's he's not taking possessions off. There's less, you know, gimme shots that he's missing. There's It's way more efficient than it's ever been before in terms of his play on the offensive end. His defense has continued to gotten better. I mean, I don't know. That's an article. Just look. You're kind of looking for something there. Again, You're looking for the negativity rather than presenting with a realistic, like, hey, yeah, hey, don't forget about this. He's still doing this. He's still doing this. It was way more of a, oh, this is now going to happen. And well, he's playing well now, but don't hold your breath. It's going to change. And it's just not necessary right now. Again, a very good writer that I've read plenty from and have loved a lot of what he's written. But at the end of the day, in short, in regards to the drum and piece, it just didn't seem that there was enough research, there was enough information done on the topic of discussion. And you can't you can't get away with that nowadays. There's too much good team coverage. You know, there's too many good blogs that, you know, cover the team day in and day out that know what the players like. And that's why if you need to go to them, you need to do some research through them, then that's what you should be doing. But, you know, let's be honest. You're not watching the Pistons a ton. No. You're watching teams like the Rockets, like the Celtics, like the Warriors, those national teams when you're a national writer. So if you're going to write about a low market, you know, about a market guy like Drummond, you really need to spend some time watching him and pulling out the narratives from his, you know, first two, three seasons in the league just aren't quite fair. It's cheap. It's real cheap. Especially when they're just not true anymore. So that's just really, you know, that's really all there is to say about that that topic. Well, let's talk about something a little more positive. Seiko Dubuya. Makes his Grand Rapids Drive debut. 18 points down in GR. And uh, exciting to see Seku getting some reps, getting some playing time minutes, etc. Um, he's a lot better served playing and developing his game and playing American basketball than he is sitting on the end of the bench with the Pistons. Yeah, through two games, 30 points in 36 minutes, uh, 11 of 21 from the field shooting. From the three-point line, three of nine, three of three from the three-throw line. But a lot to like. A lot to like. He's a guy that, you know, again, is not going to come in and he's not going to play a lot of minutes on the Pistons. But in Grand Rapids, he's going to have that opportunity to showcase 
what he can become. And he showed a comfortness off the dribble with the basketball. The three-point shot, it looks fluid. He didn't make a ton. You know, he didn't shoot a great percentage, but it looked fluid. The shot form itself looked pretty good. And, you know, I haven't watched the full games, so I haven't seen where he's at defensively and, you know, all the intricate stuff. But just looking at, you know, some of the highlights, a little bit of the game, the box score, you can see some of the stuff that's there, some of the stuff the Pistons are going to be working on with him down in Grand Rapids. And it's 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 a very good thing that he's down there. It is a very good thing that he's able to go down there and get that playing experience. It's, it's something that there are some guys that it's just a matter of let them get comfortable with the league. And once they're comfortable in the NBA, the talent is there. And they will learn the NBA intricacies pretty quickly, and they'll be able to step in and play. Sekou's a raw talent. That's not the position he's in. He needs to be playing basketball uh, in a system where every night he is being critiqued, every night he is making adjustments, every night he is taking a step forward. And we knew this when the Pistons drafted him. He was the youngest guy in the draft. It's going to take a little time. He'd be the youngest freshman in the NCAA right now if he was if he went and played college basketball this year. That's how young he is. For a guy that's only played basketball for six years, he, if he's not going to get minutes on the Pistons, he needs to be down there for practices with the drive, and he especially needs to be down there to get game reps with the drive. For a guy that's only played six years of basketball, he needs to be getting as many game reps as he can. So I think it's very important and very good that he's starting to see those opportunities with the drive. Think about that. That's it's honestly like just having it, it, it's it just has storm away. It, it's don't even think about having Seku as part of the team for this year or next, and then all of a sudden this guy that you've had grooming in your system, you've been able to develop and tailor to exactly how you want him to play, is going to come to the fold, and it's going to be exciting. So. It's good to see that he's down there. He's getting experience and development. Uh, and you know that the Pistons will be watching that film very, very closely and monitoring him and, and just coaching him in every way they possibly can to get him up to speed. Because, of course, they want him at the NBA level as soon as possible. Right. But I think the Pistons are showing by him being with the drive this year. There's no forcing the issue. No. And, you know, if there's a point in time this year where the Pistons are able to Get them up for a couple games. And they will. I, I almost there. can guarantee that yeah, at some point I, he will. I, and they will. They will. He will not go full season ever playing for the Pistons. Um, there will be an opportunity, whether it's by injury, whether it's by rest, whether it's by the Pistons either have locked up or or have been eliminated from playoff contention. You know, there will be an opportunity for Seku to get in there at the NBA level. But right now it's great that he's down in Grand Rapids getting game reps, getting game flow starting to work with some other guys that he may be teammates with down the line in Jordan Bone, Lewis King. I'm still holding out for Todd Withers. Um, but working in a system that is working to maximize him and his development cannot be complained about. It's just it's a great thing to see that the Pistons are handling him in this way. And so far, early returns are Duboya can play. And yes, it's the G League, but... There's he, there's a fluidity to his game that's that's growing and you have to like what you see there. So, let's take a look at the upcoming week. Three games for Detroit starts with the return of Blake Griffin Monday night first Minnesota at home, then Tuesday night they play the second part of a back to back in Miami. Tough draw there 
Very back tough. to back to go to Miami versus a team that's been playing pretty good basketball. Tough draw. Nonetheless, so the Pistons play Monday, Tuesday. They get a couple days off. Then they play in Charlotte on Friday. Um, so Timberwolves, Heat, Charlotte. I think this is a two and one necessary week for Detroit. This is, this is a very weird schedule, and, and, and it's weird that the Pistons have played the most games in the league already with ten, but then play a back to back, have two days off, play a game on Saturday, I believe, on Friday, on Friday. Then they're off till, and then next they're off till Wednesday. Wednesday. I, I just don't know how the schedule got concocted in that way, where it has the Pistons schedule this way, but it's incredibly weird, and it definitely is not in the best favor for the Pistons. No. You certainly would hate having Blake Griffin come in on a back-to-back, especially when the back end of the back-to-back is against a Miami team that you could have seeding implications with at the end of the season, so you'd like to have him playing if possible. Uh, They haven't said that Blake's not going to play on back-to-backs, but you never know. We don't know if he has a minute restrictions. We really don't know any of that information right now, but you know, Minnesota, Miami, Charlotte, 2-1 and would be good. Three and one be, or three and zero would be great. Depends though, you know. Are you going to also going to get Derrick Rose back? That certainly would help. But Minnesota is not a team to scoff at. Nope. They will, you know, be a challenge on Monday. Miami will certainly be a challenge. And quietly, Charlotte's a bit of a scrappy team right now. You know, they're not a great team. And I certainly don't expect it to hold. But they're four and five. They're kind of right there with the Pistons right now. Right. So they're you know they're not gonna. Just sit down and, you know, tank and watch the Pistons win by 20. So it'll be, you know, it'll still be kind of a tough week for Detroit in, in that stance. So make your prediction. What's the Pistons' record? Who do they beat? Who do they fall to? If anybody. Why do you do this to me? I'll start. Yeah, you start. I think that the Pistons, with Blake's return, will beat Minnesota on Monday night. I, I, I'm going to go for the storyline. Really nice. Uh, what you'd hope for a return for Blake. I'm also going to pick Detroit to go to Miami and win. And win that second half of a back-to-back. Because even if Blake's on a minutes restriction, your rotation's experienced enough playing together that, you know, guys aren't learning to play together versus Miami. They're learning to play with Blake Griffin. And I'd much rather have them learning to play with Blake and get comfortable again playing with Blake than without. You know what I'm saying? Um, I also think the Pistons will play up to the competition. I I think that Dwayne Casey will have them prepared, knowing that's a team they need to really fight against to get a win. The the game that concerns me, actually, is Friday in Charlotte. Charlotte's a team that historically has given the Pistons fits. And after a couple days of rest, could that be a benefit? Sure, they're rested. Could it also be a negative? Well, yeah, they've had two days, and now they're kind of getting their legs back under them early in the ball game. They fall behind. Maybe shots don't fall. So that's why it's tough to have two days off, play, and then have Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off. You know, so you get another four days off. So you have, uh, you know, game four days game. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't like that setup for Detroit. But I actually expect them to win early in the week, and I expect them to fall on Friday uh, to round out this week before their little four-game, four-day break. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. The Pistons are going to go three and zero this week. Wow! Wow! They All get right. they get they get Minnesota on a back-to-back with Slappy over with here, a home crowd, 
in the return of Blake Griffin, home crowd take that with a grain of salt in Detroit. But you get Blake Griffin. I think Griffin the return back. of Blake's going to bring people out. I think it will as well. I really do. And then you play off for Miami. You have to. A good team will. And if the Pistons are a good team, they'll play up against the Miami team. That they they need to show that they're just as good as. And then they need to stomp on Charlotte. They need to beat Charlotte. I get Charlotte's scrappy. I get they got Devontae Graham and PJ Washington and Miles Bridges, those second you know, first, second year players that, you know, come with a lot of energy, this and that. But again, good teams find a way to win the you know, w- win games against teams that they're better than. And, you know, if you're Detroit, you get Blake Griffin back. You're hoping Derek Rose returns with him or returns from Miami. Either way, you get a boost from him as well. And you continue to let Drummond and Luke dominate. You let it all mesh together, and you go out and you shut up everyone that's already calling this Pistons season over. It's been really weird. Wow. It's been really, really weird how this season has gone for the Pistons. Not in the sense of their schedule, not in the sense of the injuries, but in the swaying of the fan base from game to game. When it's a loss, they're calling for the team to blow it up. When it's a win, they're saying, just wait till we get Blake Griffin back. It's comedic. It's annoying. It's gotta be it's gotta stop but it's not going to it's whatever at this point but three and oh for the pistons this week lock it in that's my prediction drop the mic my goodness boom boom all right well that's good i think i think we have to end on that note uh, so Aaron's calling for three and zero Pistons week. They're four and six right now. It'd be nice to see them above five hundred. And when we're talking again next week on the Palace of Pistons podcast. Uh, but before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Palace of Pistons. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at Palace Pistons. Of course, check out the YouTube channel. Always great content coming out there. Always great written content coming out on PalaceofPistons.com as well. And our great writing staff. Uh, that is continuously putting out quality pieces. Um, you know, if you want to follow us on our personal Twitters as well, you can follow Aaron at a Johnson NBA, myself at Media Brendan. Ryan Pay wasn't here this week, but he's still active on the Twitter. He had a family commitment today at Ryan Pay. Uh, be sure to throw him a follow as well if you don't already do so. Um, so the Pistons, they're four and six. Aaron's calling for a three and zero. Oh. I'm calling for a two and one week. Hopefully. We'll take two and one. We'd love three and zero. Oh. They can't finish worse than that. But we will see how they do next time here on the Palace Pistons podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.